0: The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have
1: all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple.
2: So everybody's back in their assigned Pure Hoops Media bureaus. I'm in New York City. I'm Noah Kozlov, host on SiriusXM NBA Radio, play-by-play guy, I'll sorts of other nonsense. He's Adam Stanko out in San Francisco, the lead producer. I'll just call him the senior vice president of the Pac-12 network, even though I know he's not, <laughs> but I think he should be. And okay, so you're back from the Cabo Bureau. I'm back from the Poconos Bureau. Next week, I'll be in a different bureau that I'm not going to tell anybody because the way this show is growing, I don't want to be hounded on, on a family vacation. But the Poconos, <laughs> the, the Poconos were successful. We went to a water park. We did we, we talked about that last week. That playground that we spoke from last week was nice. We did the Crayola experience where they make where they make the crayons. That was interesting. Enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And then spent some time back in Abington with my family. Today is my father's seventieth birthday. Happy Next birthday. week is my mom's seventieth birthday. birthday. And the family's good. How about you?
1: That's tremendous. Um yeah, everyone's okay except that my wife is out of town right now. Um you know, she's the really talented one in the family and she also holds it all together. And I don't know about you, Noah, but like my wife's out of town, you know, three kids, Avery's fifteen, Bella's just about thirteen and uh Hudson is two. And when Kate leaves, um, it's just chaos. I, I don't know how I get anything done. Um, I don't really. It's just about wrangling them, getting them to practices, getting them up for school uh, trying to feed them. Hudson's complaining his mom's not there. E- everyone's just miserable, including me. I feel like a total waste. And by the way, when I say she went away, she's, she's gone for like a day and a half. She, <laughs> so <laughs> so that just shows um, how uh, dependent I am on my uh, my wonderful, beautiful, incredible wife. I, I know you talk about how romantic and, and uh, loving you are all the time. I, I need to, to express my appreciation for my wife more, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you that.
2: Uh, so I, I'm just, as I texted you the last night, it's, it's like, I mean, you're in, you're in the mode right now. Like I always say, when anybody has an infant, it's just survive in advance, just like the NCAA tournament. Like you can't look past that possession. You just got to get one thing done and then move on.
1: Yeah. And you know what I've, I've been getting through over the last couple of days. The, the big thing for us is like, my son's extremely independent. And so he doesn't want to go in the car seat. He's. Wonderful kid, loves watching basketball. He's, his favorite play, player is Giannis. Um, he learned who Siakam was last night, and he could identify him from, for the headband. But uh, uh, wonderful. I, I adore spending time with him. But he just – But – But he will throw – he's extremely strong, and he throws a fit if you try to put him in his car seat. And so all of that to try to get motivate him or have him do anything has been tough. So – I got a pack of M and M's, and my wife will kill me if she knew I was doing this. But basically, i She's not, I've been she's not, she's not him. listening.
2: No, no, she hasn't listened to any of these. She didn't, she didn't but, hear you say that you love her either, that she's beautiful, and she's oh yeah, not I listening say every about week, the M and M's either. We end yeah. the show every week. We yeah. the
1: show every week. But I, but I've been bribing him with M and M's, uh, and she doesn't like him to have sweets. So don't tell her that I that I've been doing that.
2: No, I won't. I won't. Uh, you say independent. I say <laughs> kind of sounds like a pain in the ass. <laughs> All right, so we're going to have Alex English shortly, the Hall of Famer and the all time leading scorer in Denver Nuggets history. But first,
1: guys, explain this to me.
2: Adam, explain this to me. With all this whining and complaining that goes on in the NBA, the NBA should just put a fourth official on the floor.
1: As long as that fourth official isn't from the Philadelphia area. <laughs> uh, we know almost all of them are, are from southeastern PA. Um, I, look, I, I don't know if you heard Michael Lewis's podcast, uh, Against the Rules, um, but he, he talked about it in the very first episode he did, talking about officiating and, and refereeing in today's world and and the idea that actually the officials are being scrutinized more than ever and with replay and now everyone breaks it down on Twitter for nights afterwards. I, I don't know that that's actually even going to make the difference, Noah. I mean, maybe, but I, I don't know that we're necessarily getting wrong critical things. I think it's more so we're over-scrutinizing and everyone's trying to make a big deal and it's how you interpret the rules, and now apparently even we have to go back and see who's complained about refs previously. That's brutal. It's a whole deal. But I don't, Noah, I, I, I don't know that that's
2: necessarily the answer. Do you? No, I don't either, And and they tried it in the D-League and it showed that there wasn't any outstanding results from it that it didn't improve exponentially. So you're going to put another person on the floor. And now you're going to widen the court. And then yeah. are you going to be able to, you're going to move back seats. You're going to take seats away and, and take revenue away. It's, is it's not going to, it's not going to happen. And I think that Steve Kerr saying we need to move away from this, all this talk as we record this on Tuesday, Steve Kerr said, oh, we need to move away from all this talk of the officials and the officials. But Steve Kerr's the one who walked into his scrum and pretended to flop. So the yes. coaches the coaches are just as guilty as the players. But honestly, it makes the product so difficult to enjoy when everybody is complaining all the damn time.
1: Totally agree with you. I totally agree. Um so no, explain this to me. Kevin Durant is the best offensive player
2: since Michael Jordan. I mean, he's on a crazy run over his last four, and, and the last two going into game two on Tuesday night, he's got 85 points in his last two, and ever since the, the one loss to the Clippers, it seems like he's been on that run. But I'm still going to go with LeBron. I mean, KD, four-time scoring champ. He's finished in the top three, of scoring six times. AI was a four-time scoring champ. Kobe finished in the top five 12 times. Jordan was a 10-time scoring champ. And even looking at LeBron, so LeBron is top five scoring 13 times in his career, plus he's 25th on the all-time assist per game list. So scorer and offensive player to me are, are two different things.
1: Yes, I completely agree with you. And I think when you talk about offensive player, it's it's all around and still we've seen the development of Durant's passing ability and not just passing ability, but the attention that he draws. And I also think, no, I mean of course, and I'm overstating the obvious here, but we also understand that it, it's almost impossible to gauge modern-day Kevin Durant because he's doing it on this on this Warriors team. Totally. I, 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 and and that's the one thing. I mean, You know, I've said this before, you know, guys don't chase rings anymore. They chase legacies. And that's why Kevin Durant's next move is going to be out of Golden State, because he understands for his legacy he's going to have to do these same types of things in terms of in-game dominance, in terms of this unbelievable scoring, and he's going to have to do it in a place where he's not surrounded by a bunch of other really, really supremely talented players because I can't even argue that he's the best offensive player on his team if I've got Steph Curry sitting there and all the records that Steph's broken. Uh, And I would say right now, though, I say all that, and then I say I think Kevin Durant's the best player in the
2: world right now. I, I, I really yeah, do. right now, yeah, and right now for right now for sure. And he, he but scores, in he scores in so many different ways. Oh, he's it's just, incredible. He's, yeah, yeah, he's, indif- he's impossible to stop.
1: But the but the but the other point that I'll bring up, I'll, I'll say two things. One it's, I actually tweeted that the other day that that KD is the the best player in the world right now. And uh, Dave McMenamin said, uh, texted me said, hey, uh, I was on a plane, just saw your tweet. Did LeBron James die? So, um, and I said, no, he's watching from home. So we had that little. Yeah, exactly. Sort of. Um, And then – but the other thing is, though, first of all, Kobe's offensive repertoire, I mean, we have so – we've been so quick to wipe away what Kobe did over the course of his career. And and I think also just about the refined game. And I think about James Harden and, and all the talk. And we just talked about the referees, and there's a lot of talk about Harden. But what he's able to do in today's game, like it or not, his ability to score and also find people, his vision's incredible, his footwork's incredible, the way that he leans into you, that he draws contact, uh, complain about it all you want, enjoy it all, or don't enjoy it all you want. But I think if you're going to talk about anyone in that discussion, I think you have to talk about him as well as being one of the finest offensive talents that that the game's ever seen.
2: Right. It always comes down to, and I always think about like, who do you want in the game seven? And we do this with our guests with the catch and shoot situation. If you need, you need a point. You need a single point. Who are you going to? Is it KD or is it James Harden right now? And I'm not. And I'm, I'm excluding LeBron yeah. from this yeah. conversation because he's actually not playing. So is it? Are you going to rely on Harden making a shot or getting to the free throw line, or are you going to give it to KD? I would give it to KD, but maybe that's just because of aesthetics. All right, let's move on. The best sports related story right now, Adam starts before eight eastern every weeknight. I'm talking about jeopardy you've been following this uh, you know it's funny
1: noah I, I don't get to watch uh, Jeopardy because of some other obligations I don't have the free time that that, that you do um, yeah right you know um <laughs> you know but- just you know one kid and all. <laughs> Just one kid. Uh, no, but uh, uh, what's really wild to me about the, this story and this guy going on the run, what, what's his name? No, James
2: Holzauer, who is a sports better from Vegas.
1: And just smashing records, smashing his own records, and more than anything has, just like James Harden, manipulated the
2: current rules of the game to be in his, his favor. Well, I, I don't know if he has. I don't, well, think, he's, I don't think he's manipulated anything. Well, he's, and I would say
1: I would say in the same way. But here was my thing: I, I, I sort of say that facetiously because in a way it's sort of my take on how people phrase the, the hardened thing. I think in a way though I've heard him discuss it's the same type of deal though. He's almost looked at it from an analytical perspective, tries to maximize um, what he's oh it's he's the daily doubles, yeah, and his approach mm-hmm. to the daily doubles and and attacking the uh, high money. Um, topics first right so the high money category is the bottom of the uh of the right he always starts
2: he always starts with a thousand or two thousand first yeah
1: and uh listen it's smart gameplay and taking advantage of the the way the game is set out before him and saying how can i maximize uh how can i be the most efficient in the in the time period i'm playing the game i mean and and, yeah as as entertaining as
2: it's as, as entertaining as it's been adam like i wish that so he says that he goes off the side of the board and, and he read a book about it from a former Jeopardy champion. The side of the board has a light that shows you when you can buzz in and oh, wow. not not go by what Alex says. But I'm sure, you know, everybody is you know tries to do it. He just happens to be, I guess, a bit faster. I want them to go Jeopardy uncut and show the other contestants during the breaks trying to talk to the engineers, being like, What the f-? Is wrong with my buzzer? Because you, sometimes you can hear the other people just smacking the buzzer, and, and and smacking their clicker and not getting it. He's, I mean, and on Monday night he only won by eighteen dollars against the sports information director from Brandeis. So sports uh. is sports is sports is taking over. But this guy is, I I wouldn't look. I wouldn't want to spend any time with him. He seems he seems a bit too much for me, but it is like watching what it must have been like watching Wilt play oh. against children. He is just destroying people and ripping their souls out.
1: And and Noah, from what I've read about this guy, and I know that we have to move on, but A, he had like a homemade clicker that he created on his own to start practicing before he actually got into the competition. So I know that about James. I also know that he told a great story in one of the articles I read about how Alex Trebek at one point, basically that behind-the-scenes idea that you just talked about, after he just finished playing a game, Alex Trebek pulled him aside and said, "Look at those guys over there in the crowd. Think about how they feel. They got to go up against you next. Like they're they're dying right now." Like right, sure. Alex Trebek is like right. in on the joke. Right. It's uh, the whole thing is uh, is 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 pretty cool. Even from a guy that's not watching to be to to hear about what this guy is is doing in Jeopardy. So go sports fans. Go sports betters. Let's keep winning stuff. Uh, Noah, explain this to me. In two weeks from tonight, when the lottery takes place, the conspiracy theories, <laughs> yeah. NBA conspiracy theorists love to throw out there, uh, will be flying
2: high. Oh, Only if the Knicks or Lakers win the lottery will we see the conspiracy theories. Uh, and, I, and I think whoever, like, look, maybe the, maybe the Pelicans get the – top pick and that's enough to keep Anthony Davis or then or if you know a team gets a top pick and then they end up trading the top pick I think it's wild that there was so much buzz about Zion and now things have died down a bit because of the playoffs but we're just 2 weeks away as we record this on a Tuesday night we're 2 weeks away from a franchise changing moment or maybe even a league changing moment so give me your top 5 prospects right now since you've been evaluating amateur basketball players since like what age six
1: Uh, pretty much pretty much uh it's uh yeah been a long time so so Noah, uh my top five right now of guys that i love in this draft of course zion number one john morant number two and i know there's been a lot of talk uh every year about like somebody creeps in and could be the number one pick there's some talk now of john morant like it's it's starting to grow and i know you and i have discussed it before even on this podcast but there's a lot of sort of momentum. There's, there's a faction of people that would take Ja first. I don't know publicly the pressure would be too much. I don't think you could do it. But Zion one, Ja two, guaranteed. And that's when the draft falls off for me. The top tier is just those two guys. And then it starts to fall into your second tier. But I really love Kobe White, the point guard out of North Carolina. Mm. He's shooting it really well in workouts right now. Um, they're a little worried about his wingspan, but 6'5 point guard, he's awesome. Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech, I think his potential is sky high. His quickness is great. He just has to work on his shooting, get some moves. But Jarrett Culver has crazy potential. And then R.J. Barrett for me, a lot of people's consensus, number three. Uh, for me, he's, he's the fifth-best player right now and, and fifth-best prospect in, in this draft.
2: All right, so explain this to me. The one phrase that you wish was eliminated from Basketball Conversations. This one's going to shock
1: you, no, but for me it's positionless basketball. I, I have gotten so sick of that term because I also feel like it's misused. It's almost like positionless on the defensive end of the floor, but I think off, but on the offensive end we still think about guys in current positions. It's the only way to sort of um, analyze where a guy should be. Oftentimes like if a guy's not a true lead guard or he's a shooting guard, that's still significant now. And I know more guys can do more things and players have become multidimensional and bigs can handle and shoot it and pass. But I also think Joel Embiid is a five. He's a postman. He's a big man. Like, I, I know it's, it's in vogue to say it's all positionless basketball right mm-hmm. now, but when evaluating players and when thinking about how certain guys are, at least on the offensive end, I know we have a lot of switches now, pick and rolls, defense is all the coverages have turned into a lot of switching. So you need positionless defenders per se. But in terms of guys like actually playing on a court, I don't care if a big man is bringing it up. I don't think positions have gone away from the NBA. So for me, it's positionless basketball. Yeah, I mean it
2: might not be a, a typical five, and we say typical five. That means what a '90s five. Okay, well know. we all we all evolve as human beings. So why can't basketball players just evolve and be able to switch and like LeBron used to cover one through five he. There's, you can't do it now. You can let Dave McMenamin know that. You certainly can't guard one through five now. But the one phrase <laughs> that I wish was eliminated from basketball conversations right now would be, nobody talks about. Like when, and before, <laughs> before every season, on the first day of the season, on our radio show, I always say, if you say that, I'm going to hang up on you. I'll, give you. I'll give you once, but if you say it twice, I'm going to hang up on you. Because somebody, I guaranteed, I guarantee you is talking about what you want to talk about. And if you want to talk about it, just talk about it. Nobody talks about. So, I heard a lot about and during the playoffs already. Nobody really talks about Damian Lillard as one of the great guards. Oh, really? Like <laughs> Damian Lillard for the past 2 months has been the lock third guard for all NBA in the golden age of guards. Nobody like who are you listening to? And who needs to say it to disprove the nobody talks about it? If one person on ESPN talks about it, does that mean everybody is talking about it? Because that's the other thing that drives me nuts: everybody or nobody. Like what's one of these absolutes? Nobody, nobody talks about this guy. Like Jimmy Trainer from uh, Sports Illustrated earlier today said, um, tweeted out something about the uh, a quote from the Rockets digging up all that stuff from last year and holding that uh that memo and sending it to the nba and he's like it's a really underrated story i'm like what what? underrated (laughs) there's all anyone talked about yesterday so i so i sent him a i tweeted him back and i just said and jimmy trainer the sports media critic from from for sports illustrated he and i said how do you determine underrated and i wasn't like i I actually wanted to know if he had something and then he sent back the uh uh, a GIF, I think. I think it was Zach Galifianakis, uh, like some, you know, going through some beautiful mind stuff from uh, from the hang from the Hangover when he's going through all the numbers. Like, just these yes. these phrases, and it just it drives me it drives me up a wall. Nobody talks about really because there is something for everybody out there. So why don't you go find it before just starting to complain and be lazy about it?
1: Just go check out Twitter.
2: All right, before we get to Alex English, let's close out. Explain this to me with explain Kyle Lowry to me. How do you evaluate Kyle Lowry?
1: You know, it's interesting, though. You talk about the absolutes. It's almost like everybody has the opinion Kyle Lowry doesn't show up in the playoffs. And 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 maybe, maybe for good reason. Um, in the past, we've seen some of that. I know that. Jalen Rose once I, I was in a meeting with him once. I think Bruce was our producer was even in the in the meeting and, and um uh, I was talking about how Chris Weber always seemed to come up short late in games. I said, Do you think the timeout still impacts him to this day? And Weber said and Rose said about Weber, Yeah, absolutely. And I thought, Wow, that's that's crazy mm-hmm. that it would still be in his mind. Now we've seen that there's this crazy rivalry that's existed between Rose and Weber and he's they've had issues with each other back and forth. But as far as Kyle Lowry's concerned, I mean This year, regular season, 14 points, nearly nine assists a game, 35% from three in the playoffs. 12 points, eight assists, under 30% from three. Uh, But, you know, even the other night, Noah, they were down seven with two minutes to play. Lowry made back-to-back threes. Huge. And the play where people are talking about him trying to nutmeg uh, Tobias Harris is the most overblown play of all time to me, only because – He got the ball back, and they got a wide-open three out of it. Danny Green got a three. In that game, Danny Green gave up a four-point play and then got a technical. If you're going to blame anyone for the loss, I'm not blaming Kyle Lowry's possible attempt at going through Tobias Harris' legs, whether it was stupid or not. um, I just take issue with that. And also, by the way, in this year's playoffs, shooting between 3 and 10 feet, he's shooting 56%. In 2015, Lowry shot 25%, 2016, 23%. So it's not like this guy is totally choking across the board. I thought it was a foolish play, but it ended up just into broken play. It wasn't even a turnover. So Kyle Lowry to me right now, um, I guess what use one of those absolutes,
2: Noah, when talking about his playoff performance. <laughs> I mean, I think it also could be – um, effective field goal percentage in some years, you know, certainly not, certainly not two years, or certainly not last year when uh, when I thought they were gonna they were gonna beat the Cavs, but it could be also free throw attempts being down. But I I chalk it up a lot to when he he'll have a Kyle Lowry game, you know, a game that you yep. expect from him during the regular season, and then disappear, like he just doesn't have the the disappearing games during the regular season, and then when it happens in the playoffs, it's pretty convenient. And I don't think completely unfounded to say, Oh, well here's Kyle Lowry. Because to me, if you're an all-star and you're as good of a player as Kyle Lowry is, you, I don't, I don't care what the other, what the competition is. You can't disappear.
1: Five time all-star. And,
2: right, you and can't no, let,
1: let me, let me ask you this question. If Kyle Lowry were to win a championship and get one more all-star appearance, oh, are, you gonna, are you going to ask me for a hall of fame? I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there, Noah. Like you start to put him up with other guys. Five no. All Star game appearances. No, so. no, 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 no. Okay, no. Okay, okay. No. Not he's, even
2: in the, the post Mitch Richmond Hall of Fame. No, he's, <laughs> he's not getting it. Speaking of Hall of Famers, let's get to the Hall of Famer, one of the great scorers of all time, Alex English. <laughs> His number two is retired by the Denver Nuggets. Number 22, retired at South Carolina. He's a Hall of Famer, an eight-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA, the 83 scoring champ. Spent 15 years in the league. He's the 18th all-time leading scorer in the league. He went to the 85 Western Conference Finals. He has scored the most points in the 1980s, by far more than Moses and Bird and Dantley. He is Alex English. Alex Give me the story about Doug Moe that makes you laugh the hardest. Well,
0: uh, it was, uh, I think the story that I remember the most was, you know Doug, uh, <laughs> it was the latter part of my career, and we were uh, in a game, and I wasn't doing so well. And Doug cursed me out and, you know, pulled me out of the game. And when I came out of the game... I kind of went off on him, and it was so, you know, it was not me. So, everybody was was like, wow. And it stopped everybody on the bench. (laughs) And uh, Doug, I could see Doug's face, and he just didn't, uh, you know, he just didn't know what to do. This isn't the guy that I've coached all these years. So, that was probably the one story that I remember the most
2: about him but there were many that's the one thing that stood out the most did did you two talk about that afterwards we did
0: we did and I you know I apologized he apologized and uh we just moved on from there but it was a you know a latter part of my career and you know I was just uncomfortable with him being different from what he was. And uh, I guess he was just uncomfortable seeing me be somebody different as well.
1: Alex, uh, Noah and I were talking earlier that, that uh, before this podcast even started that we think, you know, you're one of the more underappreciated players in, in NBA history, uh, just brilliant career as, as Noah talked about uh, in, in your intro. Out of the guys that you faced in the '80s, uh, which uh, which future Hall of Famer did you did you give fits to?
0: That I gave fits to? Yes, sir. Uh, I I would think that the uh, one person that that re- probably remembered me the most was uh, Kevin McHale. Oh yeah, yeah, because Kevin McHale being he was the type of player that most teams would put on me to uh, kind of slow me down a bit. And, you know, he was long and lanky. uh, And I was uh, just, he was just not able to do his job. So that's, that's (laughs) one person that I think didn't get the most out of the talent that he was known for against me you know he was a a defender a shot blocker and long and lanky and also a great scorer as well
1: okay and on the flip side who who gave you fits
0: the person that I hated seeing the most was Dennis Rodman and Dennis Rodman I hated because he was a guy that was very active he could he could run with me I couldn't run away from him you know, and that's the thing that I tried to do, you know, because I was a slim guy. I wasn't didn't have much weight on me, but I was strong still. Um uh, but a lot of teams like to use uh physicality against me. And what I my, my weapon against that was just trying to outrun him, get out of the way. And and I couldn't I couldn't do that with Dennis Rodman.
2: Do you consider that the era that you played in, the golden era of small forwards?
0: Oh yes. Oh, yes. It was – I mean, if you think back, think back every night I had to play against almost the Hall of Fame. It wasn't Dominique Wilkins. It was James Worthy or Larry Bird or uh, Kevin McHale, uh, Bernard King. You know, the list just goes on. It uh, It was not only the golden era of small forwards, it was the golden era of two guards as well.
2: So some of those guys, I mean, the game is obviously so much different now. Were you, did you ever have to, you know, switch and and guard the two guards? Were there nights that you were guarding a two guard and not the small forward, that type of thing?
0: Oh, yeah. There were nights that I might end up playing a guard and a guy like a George Gervin, who was a two guard. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't on him long. You know, we... If it was a switch, we didn't switch as much back then as they do today. Today's game, they do a lot of switching, which I like. But uh, back then, we tried to stay with our man, and the defensive scheme was to try and stay with your man.
1: Alex, when you look back at at your career and your time at at South Carolina and being a successful athlete at the time in which – there just, quite frankly, weren't a lot of prominent black athletes, um, certainly playing at, at Southern schools. What, what was that time like for you?
0: It was different. You know, I, I, I felt like more than just an athlete. You know, I, I knew that I was a part of the civil rights movement in the South because at that time, South Carolina had only had Casey Manning uh, who was my roommate who had, he was the first uh, African-American basketball player there. And, you know, they had a couple more in between, but not prominent. So I was kind of the pro- the most prominent player that they had. And it was uh, an opportunity for me to kind of encourage guys from the area-, area to come to South Carolina because there were a lot of uh, misbeliefs, uh, Disbeliefs or misconceptions. That's the best word. You know, they, they didn't feel that they would get a, get a, a, a fair shot at a Southern school. And I was the guy that, that felt like it was, uh, it was not so. If you put your work in, you were gonna get the shot, especially under Coach Frank McGuire.
2: How, how were you treated by
0: the community? Oh, great, great. This was, uh, Columbia was my hometown. Mm-hmm. And it, I guess the people were proud to have uh, someone from uh, their hometown be uh, a, a standout athlete at the University of South Carolina. So it was—I uh, got great feedback, and and that was during the era of change. You know, the civil rights movement was was uh, at its peak. Uh, there were a lot of things going on in uh, in society that. Uh, you know, the whites of the community, they were trying to make a difference, trying to change and trying to uh, let the, com- you know, just be a part of uh, having a community that was uh, about uh, all races. And it was difficult. You know, it wasn't something that happened overnight. It took time, and it's still something that's uh, that's happening in this community here.
2: Do you have a, a story or a memory of, a certain instance or or something that may have happened that you saw ended up evolving over your four years there for the better?
0: Well, just the fact that they've gotten more African-Americans, uh, more African-American students at that school now, at the University of South Carolina. But I'll tell you one story that I, I remember. Uh, I lived on one side of the university and I had my, my elementary school was on the other side. So I had to walk to school every day. And one day we were coming back from school and I can remember standing on the corner with my cousins and we were on the university's campus because we'd come, you know, that's the shortcut to come through. And I can remember standing on the corner as a little kid and this car of white guys, they come up, they stop at the light. One of them jumps out of the car. He runs over to me and he hits me with his fist in my jaw, and mm. jumped, jumped back in the car and drove off. Wow. And I can, I remember just crying all the way home, and getting home, and my grandmother saying, you know, that's okay, it's gonna be okay. You know, she was the one that comforted us. But, you know, I can remember thinking that, you know, that something like that could happen to, with a grown man could jump out of a car, and hit a little kid, and not no one, no one reacted around us. Nobody held that person accountable. And, I, and the fact that I ended up coming to that university anyway, mm-hmm. and being, a, you know, being not just a, a, an athlete but a student and getting my degree from there as well.
2: Wow, that's something. That's something. Let's. Uh, let's well, there move. were there were
0: many moments. There were many moments in the South uh, that I've had, and I think a lot of other athletes of my era could share. Uh that was a part of South Carolina, but there were other good things that went on as well.
1: Alex, when when you uh look back at at the early stages of your career, and I, I think about your career and about how we're we're so caught up in, in wanting players nowadays to be so great so early on. And obviously the talent was always there. You showed it at South Carolina. But you go back and look at the early portion of your nba career and it's five points a game at your rookie year and your second year you're averaging under 10 and you know you're five years in the league and you're averaging under 15 points a game you go on to be one of the greatest scorers in nba history during that time uh what what was that period of your or your life like and and the development and what did the practices look like as you were working on your game to, to get better every day
0: a lot of the development I had to do on my own. You know, they, they didn't have all the coaches that would come out and and uh, do developmental stuff with, with you. Uh, I mean, there were only two coaches. It was the head coach and the assistant coach. So most of the development you had to do on your own, and that came from playing in the playgrounds, uh, you know, and me doing stuff that uh, I felt like would make me better, make me a better player, like running, always being in shape. Doing a lot of stretching, and later in my career, I did a, did some weightlifting. Not much, uh, but I always always felt like I was in better shape than most uh, most athletes because of the the uh, what I had to do to excel and to be better.
1: So you you just mentioned so you were playing in the playground while you were while you were in the league. You were still playing games in the park.
0: Oh man! I mean, every we would go. I would go to the University of South Carolina uh, gymnasium, and I would work out with uh, the people, the young people that were there playing, and we would play games. uh, Go to the city parks. You know, they had had a lot of talent, a lot of local talent here in Columbia that uh, that kind of made me want to go out and made me want to get better. And you know, there were a lot of the older guys that pushed me to be better. You know, the way they played me. You know, they didn't slack up. They didn't let up because I was an NBA player. You know, they came out and they pushed, they shoved, and uh, I had to work. But it was was always fun to come back in the summertime and play against some of the guys that I I grew up playing against. You ever worry about getting hurt? No, I mean, you didn't think about it back then. That was the only way you were going to get better. You had to play. You had to get out there and play and uh work on your game. I didn't play as much uh but I would go out and play that's the that was my development in the summer
2: it's funny something something else that you know that you didn't think about then that we think about now is blowing up a team so when I go back and 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 look at your time in Denver with the nine straight playoff appearances between eighty two and eighty nine and you're knocked out in the first round five times. Did get, as we mentioned before, to the Western Conference Finals in '85 when he lost to the Lakers. Was do you remember talk then of, well, the Nuggets need to blow it up and start over because all they're doing is not winning a title.
0: Uh no, I, I don't yeah. remember that. I just, I can remember adding pieces mm-hmm. and letting us stay together. I think the biggest uh, the biggest move that the Nuggets made when I was there was adding Fat Lever, Wayne Cooper, and Calvin Natt and trading Kiki Vanderway to, uh, to Portland. You know, we got three players for one, and those three players ended up being starters and being key contributors to our squad. It gave us a, a shot-blocking center in Wayne Cooper who could shot-block shots and score and rebound. It gave us another forward on the other side for me even though he wasn't that big, he was a big, powerful, strong power forward. wasn't He's was only six six, but he was a tough guy. He gave us toughness. And Fat Lever, as you know, is uh, was just an all around great player. Uh, you know, a triple double waiting to happen. So it gave us a gave us a, a different squad. And I think once we got them, once we got into Doug Moe mode of the type of uh, offense we wanted to play. You know, we were we were a very good team for a long time.
1: As two just fantastic scorers, what was your relationship with Kiki vandway like?
0: Well we were we were friends. I mean we would read same books. He would tell me about books. We both liked reading. And uh you know we would uh share books and you know while we were there but then once we once he left we didn't get a chance to be uh, around and as close as uh, as being teammates would have been,
2: but we had a pretty decent relationship. As you as you ended up progressing through your career in Denver and and getting to the Western Conference Finals, when you when you got there, and I know Adam is you know knows more about the details of of, of the series itself, but how did when when you got there, how much pressure did you feel to get over that hump, or was there a feeling of all right, well, we got here, and it's house money. Well,
0: what it was was that we got there, and we felt like we were supposed to be there. We were the one team in that year that gave the Lakers problems. And we had beaten them, they had beaten us, but we, we knew we could, we could win, and we were very excited about it. So uh, we, we go to LA and we play the first game and they just blow us out. And you know, just like uh, just like you saw the game between uh, Toronto and and Philadelphia last you know, they, they got blown out the first game, but then the second game we had an opportunity to go back and kind of readjust and when we came back we were ready to play and everybody was playing tougher. We beat them in the, at the Forum in L.A., so we go back to Denver, we were very confident. If we can win those two games in Denver, we knew we had a shot to get there. But unfortunately, uh, first half, I ended up getting my thumb broken.
1: Yeah, how much, when you think about that series, and I know you averaged 30 a game and your 40-point game in, in game two, um, how much do you think about that and how much Maybe that even changes how, how people perceive that team and your career to this to this day.
0: Well it does. you know if I if, just think if, if we could have gotten to the, to the finals and, and played in the championship, what that would have meant for everybody on my squad. Uh, you see what it did for the Lakers you know the, even the, the nominal players have become people that people know because they were champions. And it would have given us an opportunity to, to be champions as well. You know, we didn't know if we would have won, but we would have been in the finals. So that, that, that series and uh, that, that, uh, that injury, uh, did a, did a lot of damage to our, our team.
2: Yeah, I mean, I still can't believe you end up playing with a broken thumb. But I want to move on to I want to move on to the the current team and, and Goran Dragic was on the Mike Wise Show, which is on Mondays here on Pure Hoops Media, and I want you to hear what he had to say about Nikola Jokic, and then I want to get your thoughts. So here's Dragic on just the the body of Jokic.
0: That, that's the thing, know, He's uh, if you look, his body is not in bad shape. No, still. I mean, but it, still, he looks like he, a lumberjack.
1: He doesn't look like,
2: you know, like, like, a, like but he, I mean, you know he, what? He's, well, he's
0: smart. He's so smart that he's playing with his head. You know, uh, he, he, he understands that he, he plays in his own pace hmm. and um, you know, he's such a big dude that he can seal you. And he got really good moves. So basically he's never in a rush.
2: So that's, that's Dragic on, on Jokic. What do you make of his game?
0: I think that uh, he's got it right. Uh, I watch Jokic, and, you know, there's a case for him to be in the MVP race. That's how I feel. Mm -hmm. Because uh, you look at his body of work, what he's done for that team, bringing them to the Western Conference Finals and having the second-best record, he's done a, a, a lot. And you talk about his body, he is a big, lumbering guy. It kind of reminds me of DeMarcus Cousin. He's so big you can't get around him. And he's big and he's strong. And, you know, he's, he's, he's uh, fine-tuned his game to the point that he is uh, able to do a lot of things. I, I watch him shoot the one-legged fallback. That was a shot I used to shoot, which is a shot that's hard to, for anybody to block. Uh, he makes threes. He's a great passer. You know, he, he – he has a great intellect and a, a great uh, feel for the game. So he and Murray and other guys, they know when he gets the ball, all they've got to do is keep moving. And he's going to find them. And he finds them at that point where they're able to get the ball freely and go up and score. And, you know, there's no guy between them. He, he gives them a lead pass. He knows how to pass. So he's uh, he's got lots of skill.
1: You mentioned Jamal Murray. Um, I mean, this kid's unbelievable. What, what do you think of his game?
0: I think he's one of those one-of-a-kind scorers, one of those guys that come along once in a lifetime. Uh, when it comes to scoring, he just got the nick. He just got the. You, you can see how he plays, and see some of the shots that he makes. See the confidence on his face. He is a legitimate, true scorer. And there's a lot of guys that work on their games and they they learn how to be scorers, but he has an innate feel, an innate ability to just score. You know, you look at some of the shots that he takes. You look at uh, you know, the, some of the threes people in his face. He he's one of those uh, one of those players in the league today that that's special.
2: We got we got about a minute left and I uh, want to get two questions to you. One the first one is how are you spending your time these days?
0: Well, I I am a businessman. I, I, I was a Wendy's franchisee. I'm not anymore. So is my franchise but I opened up a another franchise uh it's called European Wax Centers. And mm-hmm. I'm also in the you know, the ability in, in South Carolina they just passed a law that you can grow hemp
2: mm-hmm. and
0: i have i am becoming a hemp farmer wow you know there's so there's so many medicinal things that are so much medicinal value to cbd oil and people are just learning about it uh, i feel that you know who knows what it could be a a possibility that there's a a discovery for diseases that we uh, haven't been able to to manage or uh, I know it it does a lot for pain and a lot for brain injury and uh, epilepsy and all those things. A lot of things that you know we take that, that we don't pay attention to that CBD all does uh, does manage. So I, I looked at that and felt like this is a great opportunity to not only be a businessman and make some money but to also help people. So that's what I'm doing now.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, appreciate the uh, insight on that. So before we let you go, our, our podcast is the Catch and Shoot Podcast. So we'd like to ask the guests, all time, game seven, you can choose from any player, all time, uh, catch and shoot situation, life on the line, who are you going to?
2: Who
0: All time? Yes, sir. I mean, right now I would probably say uh, Michael Jordan. Then I'd put Kobe Bryant in there. Hmm. Those are my top two. And then probably Kareem Abdul-Jabbar.
2: And then if Kevin McHale was guarding you, he'd give it to you.
0: Yeah, we'd go. Well, that's what the Nuggets would
2: have done. (laughs) (laughs) All right, he's, he's the Hall of Famer, Alex English. Alex, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Hey, I enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks, Alex.
0: I think
1: we're about to go off the rails. All right, so, Noah, for off the rails this week, I, I was excited to tell you this story, and I don't know how I haven't told you this already. Um, in Connecticut, I want to say maybe eight years ago, a guy who's friends with my brother, the guy's name is Paul Mahalik. he came to the house, and he was telling me the story about how he had like a, a younger niece and nephew and uh, he was playing a prank on him one day and he sort of, much like my story from a few episodes ago about the, the Batman thing, mm-hmm. with the, you know, because I guess the people I associate with <laughs> like to, um, <laughs> you know, lie to young children. And he told, <laughs> he told these kids that, um, that he um, invented Sour Patch Kids. So, we all know what? the candy, the Sour Patch Kids candy. Yeah, so he convinced these kids. And I think so uh, weird, what a weird unlike, flex. Yeah, well, it is <laughs> it is. A lot of kids too. would say uh nice flex, but whatever. Okay. Weird flex, <laughs> but whatever. Um but uh so he he convinced them of this. I at least, you know, I I I but didn't really have them fully convinced. And it was sort of the same thing I think with with Kevin's kids on the Batman story. Um, where they were sort of questioning it and all that. So he went in to Wikipedia and changed the Wikipedia entry oh, no. to say that Sour Patch Kids were invented by Paul Mihalik. And he put his name in there. And so he said to them, hey, you guys can go check that. You know, go ahead. Go go check the uh, Wikipedia. Like, it's you can even oh, check. Here's the wow. source. And he lo- pulls it up, and he goes, look. And, and <gasps> just... Just like, you know, great (coughs) pranks of all time. These kids are freaked out. They're losing their minds. Like, no way, you created Sour Patch Kids. That's insane. So he's telling me the story. And uh, so this is, like like I said, about seven or eight years ago. And at the time, so we're in the living room, and I remember saying to him, well, is it still there? Is it still on the Wikipedia page? And he goes, oh, I can't imagine that it still is. But he's like, I've checked every once in a while because I guess this had happened a couple years prior. So we take a look at the Wikipedia page, Noah, and uh, at the time was still there, but the wild part was when I went to do the search for the Wikipedia page, all over Google are articles that talk about how Paul Mahalik invented Sour Patch Kids. No. And way. if you do a search right now, Paul Mihalik, gummy bears, you're gonna find articles that not only credit him with it, but some have like a backstory. Like Paul Mahalic thought about doing it one year with this or these jelly filled delights I'm reading this right now, quote, Jelly filled delights were on the rise and their creator, Paul Mihalik. I mean how, how
2: does that how does that happen?
1: It it just goes to show that people you want to talk, you know, the great Uh, Fake news Here's a quote Jelly-filled delights Were on the rise And their creator Paul Mahalik Took full advantage Of the fad Like What? How are people Writing full-on articles About this guy Who just switched up A Wikipedia page It shows that people Use Wikipedia As their source For Factual Information Wow And then what's wild is Now He could make the argument That it is true Because now it's in It's not just Wikipedia But it's now been sourced in countless other uh articles so i encourage people to google that i thought you'd get a kick out of that and i don't know why i haven't told you that that's that story nuts. before this that's yeah. nuts i
2: mean right it's so a- right now it's not on wikipedia anymore okay but the but the fact that there are still the articles is nuts how do you how nuts. do you spell how do you spell mihalik so our listeners it's, can- uh
1: m-i-h-a-l-i-c-k so that's crazy. just type in Sour Patch kids paul mihalik and you're gonna or gummy bears, you know, Sour Patch, you know, all that stuff. And you'll, and I you'll tried to, I,
2: cha- I changed the Wikipedia page once for Terry Stotts. Uh, I had him on the radio and I'd become friends with Terry over the years, the Blazers head coach. And I think this was when he was, I think maybe his first year in Portland. And okay. he wasn't listed on the notable alums from Oklahoma. He went? You went to the University of Oklahoma? Yes. So, uh, yeah, so I, so I added them on there.
1: And is he still listed as a notable alumni? Sure, from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the next question is, why have you not gotten Terry Stotts
2: on the catch and shoot podcast? Uh, he's busy. Oh, okay. You know, and you know, being in the playoffs at all. The uh, I was thinking uh, off the rails on on a few things. One, real quick, uh, the phrase "antioxidants" is, is such crap. Like I don't. I don't I don't know who comes up with these marketing phrases, but uh, Eden was having a a snack in one of those little snack packs, and it just said, my, my mom had given it to her when we were back home, and it just said, antioxidant mix, and it's pistachios, almonds, raisins, and little bits of chocolate. Like, what are you, like, antioxidants. <laughs> like, you think antioxidants, it's, like, going to keep you alive longer. Yes. Well, antioxidants.
1: No, this this show has, has, and I don't mean this episode. I'm saying catch and shoot in general has just turned into things that, oftentimes, you and I just complain about.
2: Well, no, not even like complain about. <laughs> you, that we just like call BS on, really. Okay. Yes, really? I like right? that better. I like that. And here's, that and, here's and here's one that I'm not calling BS on because they are spot on, but they've only hit the tip of the iceberg. Deadspin mm-hmm. came out with a story. On MLB Opening Day about MLB Advanced Media, where I used to work. MLB.com and about the culture there, and they named two people, and it's—I mean, it's tip of the iceberg stuff. They went pretty inside baseball with things. It is something. I mean, (laughs) like (laughs) I'm—I'm telling you, it is going to be like if they actually decided, you know what, we're going to go really deep into this. And I did not. Laura Wagner wrote the story. I did not talk to her. She didn't. She didn't ask to talk to me. And I don't know if I would have talked to her anyway, but there are some stories. But they were they were spot on with. I'm not calling BS on that. They were spot on with what they reported in that story about MLB Advanced Media. How much satisfaction do you get? And this is kind of this is one of the cool
1: things about working in our our industry is that like when things aren't going well at a place that you worked at, and and it leaks out, like people can find out, and all of a sudden you start to read names and other people can see it published in these articles and online and on Twitter. Like, other people get exposed to some of the names and people that you had run oh, yeah. with or issues. Oh, it's sure. actually a cool thing because I because I imagine like the guy working at like State Farm who hates his boss is like, right would love man would love that oh story, the controversy yeah. the stuff going here and meanwhile no one's ever gonna find out it's whatever right, it's kind of right. salacious for us it's like those names are plastered on uh, on uh, everywhere on the yeah web, I remember and so. like,
2: and and look I I don't think. Ah, I don't think one of the guys that they mentioned prominently is a bad guy I just it just got drunk on power but the uh, I do remember one story when one of the guys that they mentioned Brett Kaplan and, and he was running like kind of the video operation on the floor and I left one day you know he' doing highlights I left and we're in Chelsea Market and he comes running down to Chelsea market as I'm leaving and this was happened to be an afternoon. Game, So I was, you know, it wasn't like it was two o'clock in the morning and he was like, cause, 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 you got to come back up. And I like, I thought it was like some sort of emergency. And I was like, what? He goes, it sounded like you said, John Jay made the kitsch instead of cat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so when I, when I got, when I, and I just like didn't say a word. And when I walked back into the newsroom, everybody, all the editors, producers looked at me like their faces were white. Like they couldn't believe I was back in. Wow. Like, they, they, and we still, it's like a little thing that we still joke about, but that tells you about like what the culture was like. I mean, we used to have to, and I know, I know we got to wrap this up, but we used to have to make two separate highlights one season. I think it started, I think we just did it for a few months, where we had to do a highlight for the losing team site. So that when their fans went there, or when their owner went there, it looked positive. So even if a team lost nine nothing, we had to put in like uh, we had to put in a double and then say, um, but they were unable to bring them home. <laughs> like, it's Bob Uecker in Major League. made. This is MLB.com. Like our, oh. MLB Advanced Media, arguably the most successful uh, sports technology company of all time. This is some of the nonsense that was happening. That is. That is. Anyway, i glad to he had the- a, I'm glad he had a nice catch. And, oh, my uh, goodness. Figured oh my it goodness. out. Uh, before you do the thank yous, I want, to, uh, I want to thank Bruce Bernstein, our producer, for not doing a good enough job to take my job last week. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Bruce. And now you can, you can get all the others out of the way.
1: Wow. wow. Well, I think Scott Turkin might play a role in this. You never know when Scott's bouncing in or out of the uh, podcast. We, we should thank the entire Pure Hoops Media team. Noah and Yes, uh, and and all the other shows.
2: So the Mike Wise the show which is yep. on on Mondays, um our show of course, Sketch and Shoot and um uh, Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and also the Pure Hoop show with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Yep.
1: Uh people need to subscribe, download and and oh, a few comments we're we're getting uh talking about how good our chemistry is. Um, oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh so I'm glad that uh I'm glad that your wife decided to, to write that. That was very kind of her. Yeah, finally. So, finally, tell her finally showed
2: her how to do it. Love My fun. mom, too. Dad, too. Yeah. Everybody. Okay.
1: So write a review. And uh, yeah, well, go listen to some past episodes because we've had some pretty good guests. Noah, as always, I want to thank you. You're the best. You too, pal. And uh, it was fun. It was fun. Talk to
2: you next week.
0: The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of
2: Pure Hoops Media.